Mark chapter 1, and we will read just a couple of verses, starting in verse 40. It says this, Mark 1, 40. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion... Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Well, I'll tell you the um, kind of the burden that I have tonight in giving this exhortation. Um, we went down to my folks' house over Christmas and I kind of got um, a little bit extra time to do some thinking and some reading and some studying that I'd been wanting to catch up on. And I, my mind kept being drawn back to conversations that I've had with many of you and conversations that I know that you've had with one another and issues that are brought up in prayer meeting um, every week pretty much. And it all revolves around that burdens... Um, that many of you are carrying. I mean, I would almost say most of you. I, I say it a lot that you almost never, you, you, you pretty much never talk to a Christian who doesn't have a burden about someone. And almost always when you get to talking to a Christian, if you can really get down to things, you, you find that basically every Christian has um, someone in their life that's dear to them that is lost. And, you know, desperate situations, they, they range um, all over the spectrum. We're going to be talking about that tonight. But my burden, I'm, I'm really going to talk a lot about these situations, especially pertaining to, to lost people that are on our minds and that are on our hearts. And like I said, you, you hear these come up in prayer meeting. And as when you're meeting with saints, if you can get far enough along in the conversation, a lot of times... You hear the burden come up, and there's just this ache. There's this deep-seated longing to see somebody come to know Christ, to see Christ come into one of these desperate situations of somebody that's very dear to them and just turn, turn the, the wilderness into a pool. So that's what I want to talk tonight about, and I want to... Um, to encourage you in that, because as I started thinking, I started thinking about all these situations that, like I said, that many of us have shared with one another, and then I started thinking back through the pages of the Bible, and I started thinking back through the stories of the Bible, and I started to see story after story of God's unending compassion. And I started to see this, that compassion is God's default mode. If, if it's just arbitrary, all things being equal, God, he loves to show compassion. It comes out very clearly in the pages of Scripture, and there's many times he just comes right out and he says it. You know, and the King James translates that one verse there in the Old Testament that wrath is his strange work. You know, and you don't have to have that verse to prove it because, you have, like I said, you have all these stories in the Old Testament. And then when, when, when the, the revelation becomes super clear in Christ, compassion 
every page there's compassion. And so my aim is twofold. Number one, I hope tonight and our time together, we can catch a fresh glimpse of the compassion of God. We, we need that renewed in our mind. I was thinking about this earlier, and I thought the statement on my, my mind, and I said that can't be true, but I think it is. One of the hardest things for Christians to believe oftentimes is the overwhelming, abundant compassion of the Lord. One of the things that we struggle with the most, and I would just sit that up under the umbrella of the love of God in general. And what we have to do immediately is we have to take God's side against our unbelief. That's unbelief. It's unbelief. And the best thing that you can do in that situation is label it, this is my unbelief, God. I know you're not this way. Because if you start nursing that and you start kind of fostering that in your mind and turn it around, pretty soon you're going you're gonna to believe it with all your heart. And it's going to be very hard for you when you see desperate situations, especially situations that go on and on and on. And humanly speaking, humanly speaking, nobody blames you for losing hope. That type of situation, you're going to have a hard time pressing on if you're not seeing with a clear view the abundant, unceasing compassion of the Lord. It's very important. So I want us to see that. And the second aim is I want that glimpse of compassion to produce in us and to renew in us a determination to engage in fervent prayer for the lost. I hope that what happens is tomorrow at the prayer meetings that you will bring names you're going to bring names, and we're going to start writing down names in our, in our book where we keep notes or however you may do that of what we're praying for at the prayer meetings. If, if you're not doing that, I would encourage you to start doing it because it's going to be a real encouragement when we start seeing the Lord answer those prayers. And we can come back and celebrate, Lord, we've been praying for, hit, for this. Here it is, prayer meeting after prayer meeting. We've been calling this person's name before you, and here they stand given their testimony. That's happened out of these prayer meetings. There's people sitting here. We've talked about this before. There's people sitting here right now that their salvation is a product of those prayer meetings. That's what God used. God burdened His people. People started praying. And there's people here tonight that are here because, because God used that. That's what God used. Prayer, as we see, desperate prayer is a powerful thing when you're dealing with a God as compassionate as the God we serve. So I hope this, I hope this tonight encourages you that way, is to bring names and in your own homes to be calling people before the Lord in desperation. I'm so thankful, Garrett, I didn't know he was going to read that passage. I'm so thankful he, he read that. That's one less one I have to read. Because there it is. And... Um, you know, I feel like I have to say at the outset that there, um, there are a lot of questions that I can't answer about unanswered prayer, which is a reality. But I think people like me need to stop saying that at the outset because you know what that does, don't you? I can read example after example after example, and if you're not careful in your, your own mind, yeah, but I'm probably still the exception. 
And so what I want to do tonight is I purposely picked the handful of texts that I'm going to read. I purposely looked for the exceptions. That's why I'm glad he went ahead and read the Syrophoenician woman. Exception. I mean, you can't, about can't get any more exceptional than that. And what happens? I mean, you can see his face light up when he gives that response. Great is your face. I mean, you can just see it. It's just compassion just coming out of him. Go your way, your daughter, your daughter's well. I mean, it's just spilling over. So if you want to be the exception tonight, you can be the exception, but the exceptions get grace too. God has compassion for the exceptions and their desperate situations. So I chose this text right here, Mark 141. Because it's a great it's a, it's a it's a great text to just to just get a feel for what we're talking about, and what I want you to see tonight is that you have two links with this leper. If you're in this situation, if God's given you a burden for someone, or there's been a burden for someone in the past, and um, their sin and going on with sin. You know, just over time, you can start to get worn out under it. And you, you kind of slowly but surely, you stop praying for it as much. And there's less and less faith in the prayer. And so what I want to do is I want to show you your link with the leper in this situation. Like I said, this applies to all sorts of desperate situations. Desperate situations in your own life. If you're a lost person tonight, look at how Christ treats someone who comes to him desperately. I mean, that, that's amazing. Children, if you want to come to Christ and you lay your life down and you wonder, what, what's he going to do with me? I know I've sinned. How will he treat me? How, how will he deal with me? Look at this leper. He's moved with compassion. We'll talk about that. He's moved. Isn't that amazing? The God of all the universe, there's something inside of him that moves him. And it's compassion. That's what you'll find. When you, come to, when you come to Christ and you want to talk to the Lord and you're wondering what's he going to be like, he's going to be full of compassion if you come to him and you're desperate. You want to lay your life down to him. There's two links here. One, he was in a desperate situation. Um, leprosy, you know, it can mean, I think the scholars say, that it could mean all sorts of skin diseases. But really, the net result was the same as far as what happened to your life. Your life was dominated by this disease. And the, this leper, I thought about this, he never, he, he never lost hope because he didn't have any hope to begin with. Because what happens with leprosy, especially back in these times, your life is just getting worse and worse and worse. There's no hope here. There's no hope whatsoever. And here's the second link. He doesn't know what God wants to do in this situation. That's why he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He has no problems at all with the ability of God. There's no doubt in his mind. And often people that I talk to, and as I've thought about this in my own life, I don't struggle so much with whether God can save some of these difficult cases. That doesn't seem hard. What I struggle with sometimes because of my own unbelief and my own unrenewed mind is the compassion of the Lord. God, what do you want to do in this situation? And I will be the first to confess that the will of God in many ways, there, there's so much mystery surrounding it. 
But really, what you need to do in these types of situations is you need to go to the Bible and just start reading stories. Lord, what do you do when, when desperate situations come your way? When somebody comes your way and they just throw something at your feet and they're absolutely desperate, what happens? What, what's your default response? Let's just look at it across a bunch of spectrums. What does that look like, Lord? What are you like? And we, we struggle with that. We often struggle with that in prayer. Lord, I'm praying for this person. I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're going to do. So that's our link with this le- leper. Well, on this leper, word starts to circulate in this area. Now think of this, leading up to this encounter. Think of how this would happen. You've got to understand leprosy, and I'm not going to go into it. Even the Old Testament text, there's text in Leviticus about what you had to do when you were a leper. When they finally found out that you were a leper, you had to live out by yourself with all the lepers. And you know what it says? It's a very... Uh, it, it just kind of it kind of grabs you when you read it. It kind of puts a kind of a, it's like a sock in the stomach. It says that they're to live out alone, alone. It's what it's like to be a leper. You're alone all the time. You're just alone. And whenever you would walk through places, you had to pass on the other side of the road and yell, "Unclean, unclean, unclean." So you see why possibly, especially if you knew nothing about all of these stories of the Old Testament, of why he's struggling with what Christ may want to do here. Because his whole life, he's been the exception. His whole life, he's been the person that he knew was not going to get picked. That's one thing he always knew. But word starts to circulate about this teacher that has come into the area. Can you imagine being being in this state and you start hearing of these people that have your situation and there's this teacher that comes and he's not just saying things. When he says things, things start to happen. People that have had demons no longer have demons. It says up earlier, earlier in the text, it says in 32, when evening came after the sun had set, they began bringing him all who were ill and who were demon-possessed. And the whole city gathered at the door. That's what happens when word gets out. That's what happens. And he healed many who were, uh, who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he wasn't permitting them to speak because they knew who he was. Word is circulating about a man who is not annoyed with the difficult cases. And he can do something about it. So can you see this? Can you see this leper? He's, he makes the trip. I'm going to find him. And when he comes to him, he falls down. He falls down at Jesus' feet. Can you imagine what that fall was like? This is not that little thing that sometimes guys do when they catch a touchdown pass and they catch a quick knee like that. This is not one of those. This is a... I have, I have no shame, and I have no hope but you. It's that type of fall. There's, there's, yeah. I, this is it. I, everything's riding on this. Whether or not you're willing to do something. And that's where we we've often find ourselves in prayer. 
And look what happens. This is becoming one of my, this is my favorite phrase in the Bible, at least for this week. It says this. Look at verse 41. Moved with compassion. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever thought about those three words? That the God of all the universe, there's something about Him so strong and so powerful that when He sees something, He finds Himself moved. You know what it means to be moved, right? Like you see this in the story of uh, the Good Samaritan. He's walking down the road and there's these other people that have passed by. This person who's just been beaten, he's in the ditch. The Samaritan's walking by and he looks up and what happens? He stops. Why why, Why did he stop? He couldn't help but stop. So he's full of compassion. Compassion is the type of thing that when you see someone in a desperate situation, when you see something that's really, really bad, you, you can't keep going on. He needs me. You see it, it also, and all the, this word is used in both of these circumstances. You see it with the, the prodigal's father. Here comes this guy who's just squandered everything. And he's coming back because he's tired of eating the pig slop. I mean, he's ruined everything. He's just wrecked his life. He's wrecked his father's fortune that he gave him. And here he comes back. What's going to (laughs) happen? The father is waiting and he's been watching. How do we know? Because he's still a long way off. Well, how did he catch him a long way off? Because he never left his post. And when he sees him, he's filled with compassion and he takes off running. That's, that's, what, that's what it looks like when you're moved with compassion. The father sees him, and without even thinking about it, he realizes all of a sudden he's running. He's just full of compassion, and he wants to get there. That's what compassion is, and that's what happens to Christ. And what I want us to get a grip on tonight is that this is not a rare event in the life of God. Being moved with compassion is not The exception in God. It's not the exception. I'll give you references. If you don't mind, just let me read them. I just want to read you just a a few short a few short sections of Scripture. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to get a fresh glimpse. We want to be people that have a renewed vision for the compassion of God so that when that burden comes back up on your mind, when you, when you think again for who knows how many years it's been that you've had this person on your heart, that the first thing that pops into your mind is God is compassionate and he's likely to do something about this situation. Let me just read you, and you see how well that holds up with Scripture. Exodus 34, Moses asks God, he says, God, who are you? What do you you like? This is what God says. He says, he puts him in the cleft of a rock, he passed by, and then he, he drops in this revelation. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, 
who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, and yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Visiting iniquity of the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Did you hear the ratio? He visits iniquity to the third uh, to the third and fourth generation, but the compassion and the mercy goes to thousands. He says, this is what I'm like. Let me read you. (laughs) I love these stories. Let me read you the second time that God offered to kill the entire nation of Israel and restart with Moses. Israel just will not quit. I mean, they are so persistent in sin. They're so persistent in idolatry and not following the Lord. And they're constantly trying to do stuff like kill Moses. I mean, that's not good. You know, God gives you a leader breaks you out of Egypt, and you think, well, let's kill the leader. It's, they, they, they kept forgetting what it was like in Egypt. They are like, oh, don't you remember when we had all these wonderful things that happened in Egypt? You talk about amnesia. It's like, man, where are you? So God offers for the second time, and here's what happens. You can, and you can't read these passages the wrong way. God's trying, he's trying, a lot, a lot of times these things, they're set up like this, at least on one very high level. The broad application is God, God orchestrates these things so you can know what he's like. Numbers 14, 11 says this, it says, The Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me and how will they not believe in me despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst? I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them, and I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. You may be thinking, all right, where's the compassion? I'm looking for the compassion in this verse. Well, let's read on. But Moses said to the Lord, he's praying. This is what prayer is. You're talking to the Lord. This is what he says. Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for by your strength you've brought out this people from their midst, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of the people, for you, O Lord, are seen eye to eye while your cloud stands over them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you slay this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your fame will say, because the Lord could not bring this people into the land which he promised them by oath. Therefore, he slaughtered them in the wilderness. But now I pray, let the power of the Lord be great. What's the power of the Lord? Just as you have declared, the Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. He goes back to that previous revelation that we read. He said, God, I know what you're like. I know what you're like. You're compassionate. You you visit a Iniquity to the third and fourth generation, but people that find compassion and mercy, that goes out to the thousands. That goes out to the thousands. So this is what he says. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you have also forgiven this people from Egypt until now. I like this because God has already told him what his will is. 
I mean, you, you struggle in situations. I just don't know what God wants to do in this situation. Well, how about if God said, let me tell you what my will is. I'm going to destroy this whole thing. Here's the principle here. The people that know God best in Scripture, they're always doing stuff like this. Listen to the end of the story. So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. God said, it is my will to destroy these people. That's what I'm going to do. And Moses says, wait, Lord, you're compassionate. You do have wrath. You are just. Your justice is right, is true and correct, but you love to show mercy, and that's your track record. You've done this since Egypt. And he says, I'll pardon them according to your word. He shows mercy. He shows compassion. David knew that same thing. That's why when God came to David and, after the sin of Bathsheba and said, this child is going to die, what did David do? <laughs> he falls on his face and he prays for a week straight. Now the child still died. But why, what happens when David gets up? What was his explanation? He says, I know that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so I thought that perhaps the Lord might show mercy. That should tell us something. The people that know God best in difficult situations, even when it looks like there's no hope here, further than that, even when God has said, I'm going for destruction, they fall down on their face and say, yes, God, you're just. We acknowledge your justice, but I know you love to show mercy. And more often than not, you know what happens? God changes his mind and shows mercy. It's full of compassion. King Ahab. I won't read the whole story. It's in 1 Kings 21. This is an amazing count. He's a wicked king. I mean, you want to talk about wicked? He is very wicked. And um, after he had taken Naboth's uh, vineyard by force and deception and he had killed him, God sends a prophet, pronounces all of these judgments on him. And then there's this commentary about uh, King Ahab. It says he acted very abominably in following idols according to all the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the sons of Israel. The verse before that says, Surely no one was like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. You want to talk about an evil king? The Bible says there's nobody that rivals this guy for breaking God's law. God sends this prophet, says, all of these bad things are about to come upon you. Let me just read you the very last part. It says, it came about when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth and fasted, and he lay in sackcloth and went about despondently. What would you have done? It's like, yeah, right. Like you've, you've been, you've been just, you've been the most wicked person we've ever seen in the history of Israel. There's no way. Listen to what God does. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring this evil in his days, but I will bring the evil upon his house in his son's days. Why is this included in scripture? I mean, couldn't that confuse people? What's God trying to tell us? He's full of compassion. If you humble yourself before him and you bring these situations, in this case it's his own life, he humbles himself before the Lord and the Lord shows compassion. He says, I'm not going to bring the evil now, I'll postpone it. 
It's amazing. This is my favorite one. And this will be the last one. From the Old Testament. It's the story of Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah. God says, go to Nineveh, preach to Nineveh. He doesn't want to preach to Nineveh. God says, go to Nineveh. So he goes and finds a ship and sails away from Nineveh. Why? He doesn't like them. He doesn't like them at all. And so he tries to run from the Lord. Well, you know the story. God sends a well. He's going to go to Nineveh. So here's what happens. He finally goes to Nineveh. And it says this. It says, Then Jonah began to uh, go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. You hear the gospel of grace in that message? There's none. There's a pronouncement. Yet forty days, and this place is gone. Period. End of message. Close the Bible. Let's go. Nothing about grace. What happens? Well, the king hears about it. He arises from his throne. He laid aside his robe. He covers himself in sackcloth. He issues a proclamation. In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Don't let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly that he may each turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. They fall on, Lord, if there's any compassion, please. What happens? When God saw their deeds, (laughs) that they turned from their wicked way, you know what's going to happen because you've already read it with Ahab. You've already heard it through the rest of the Old Testament. Then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon him, and he did not do it. And what happens to Jonah? He knew the Old Testament. That was his problem. He knew God is very compassionate, and that's why he didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place, because he knew it's likely that if God sent them a prophet, he was probably going to end up sparing them. It says, but it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Isn't that amazing? He was mad. And the reason he was mad and the reason he got in a ship and went as fast as he could, because he knows as soon as I show up and start preaching, even though there's zero message in here about grace, they may, if they start to humble themselves, God is compassionate. He's going to have compassion on these people. He knew it, which is really amazing because all these stories are about the so-called um, angry God of the Old Testament. This is the God who never shows compassion that everybody has a problem with. That everybody, you know, look, you look at this God. How could he do all these things? Look how horrible God was. Finally, you know, his son comes and then, well, he starts to have a compassionate side. We haven't gotten to his son yet. It's amazing. 
This is, not even, this is not his highest revelation yet. None of this is his crescendo, and yet page after page after page of the Old Testament is compassion. It's mercy. He loves to show mercy. You remember what he said about the, the people of Nineveh? I can't get this out of my mind. He says, they don't know their right hand from their left. You hear, I mean, the compassion. What, why, would, why would God care about something like that? These people don't have good common sense. They're needy. They're, you know what? You wouldn't think God would say something like that. But he is, he's moved with compassion. Well, let me read you a few more about of Christ. Remember, it's Christ who comes as the highest revelation of God. John says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, Christ, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. Translation, if you want to know what God's like, if you want to see like the essence, like show me what He's really like, you read the pages of the Gospels. Let me read you some things. Matthew 9, 35 and 36. Again, just let me read these to you. Then Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. He, he, looks at, he looks at these people. These people haven't said anything to him yet. They haven't said anything. He just looks out there and he sees all these people that they just look like sheep that don't have any shepherd to help guide them, to take care of them. They're just, they're a mess. And what does it say? He's moved with compassion. Matthew 14, 14, when Christ went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Matthew 15, 32, and Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for this people because they've remained with me three days and have nothing to eat and I don't want to send them away hungry for they might faint on the way. Do you get a feel for the heart of God? How little it takes for him to be moved with compassion and to step in and to do something about desperate situations. Matthew 20, the story of the two blind men crying out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. They stopped. Jesus says to them, Matthew 20, 33, they said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Matthew 20, 34 Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. One more. Luke 7. Verse 11. He says this. It says, Soon afterwards, he, Jesus, went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion and said to her, Do not weep. And he came, and he touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. I love this. The dead man sat up. What happens? There's a mother who's lost her son. And she's not praying 
that he's going to come back to life because he's not. He's dead. That, that's, never, that's not crossed her mind. Oh, well, yeah, he'll probably be raised here in a few minutes. She does, there's none of that going on. But Jesus sees this situation from afar. He's watching this thing happen. He sees her broken heart, and what does he do? He's moved with compassion for this mom who's in a desperate spot. Moms, that ought to give you great hope. You ought to go through the Bible and look at all that God does for desperate moms. It is absolutely unbelievable. And the principle applies even further. You go through and look at what God does for people with desperate situations for loved ones. It applies to sisters. It applies to mothers. It applies to sons. It applies to friends. It applies to all of those people that your heart just aches when you think about their lostness. He's moved. So the application here is... Bring your desperate situation to the Lord. Bring, bring it to the Lord. And be persistent about it. I've left out so many stories, I had to start deleting stuff. Because I just thought we could do this all night long. Because it is on every page of Scripture. It's, it is. Go, I mean, read for yourself with that in mind and just see how. I mean, it's like over and over and over again. It's like, what is God trying to tell us? He's trying to tell us he's overflowing with compassion and that it doesn't take much to move him. He loves to show mercy. So bring them. Bring them. I'll read you one short account from R.A. Torrey and then we'll be done. I'll leave out George Mueller. You probably know that. There were five people he prayed for and prayed for and prayed for. After a few months, this one got saved. Then we get up to five years, and there were a couple of more. And then I believe he died, and there were still two left. And then there's several different people that say that those two people were converted after he died. And he's the one who's saying, if you desire something for the glory of God, you should pray for it until you see it. And it's like, I mean, this kind of, this, all of this, this is too incredible to believe. It's like, oh, come on. I mean, really? I mean, like, wait, like what God would save a whole family? Yeah? Happened in Acts? He and his whole household believed? Can you imagine the breakfast table? The next morning, everybody's a Christian. God does that kind of stuff. His mercy's not small. He doesn't just give out little portions here and it's like, well, we better wait for a while while he recharges. He's overflowing with compassion. He's overflowing. And even when he says, I'm not going to show compassion, people come to him and say, yeah, God, but you've shown compassion here and here and here and here. And here was this person in this situation and you showed compassion. And he marched right on down through. And then what does he say? Okay, I'll show compassion. He's telling, he's trying to, he's showing you something about himself. Even when he doesn't want to show compassion, he wants to show compassion. It's amazing. This right here, a short account just to encourage you. R.A. Torrey. He says, I recall an experience of my own that has been full of blessing to me, full of encouragement to my faith. In my first pastorate, there were two whom God put on my heart and for whose salvation I prayed through my entire time there. But I left that field of labor without seeing either of them converted. When I went to Germany for further study, then I took a new pastorate in Minneapolis. I kept on praying every day for those two. I went back to the place where I began my ministry to hold a series of meetings, still praying every day for their conversion. 
Then one night in that series of meetings, when I gave out the invitation for all who would accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, those two arose side by side. There was no special reason why they should rise side by side. They were not relatives. When I saw those two for whom I had prayed all those years standing up side by side to accept the Lord, what an overwhelming sense came over my soul that there's a God who hears prayer. Okay, I'll read you one more and then I'm done. This is also R.A. Torrey. And here, here's, this is why I read all the exceptions. Because what you can do is, well, yeah, that was R.A. Torrey. But that's really not the pattern of the Bible. Is, wow, this is for everybody but me. God throws a lot of exceptions out there to help us fight against that mentality that there's all sorts of situations that God shows. You can't find a situation God hasn't shown compassion in. So whatever situation you got, whatever's your life story, their life story, none of it really matters. If you come and humbly lay yourself before the Lord, you're, you're likely to find compassion. I would love to say it's stronger than that. I'm just scared to. But it seems like the Bible, I, I don't find, there's not many people that come to the Lord and lay, lay down in desperate, persistent prayer saying, Lord, help. And they'd have nowhere else to go. They won't quit. There's a lot of compassion. We can say it that way. Last account. I prayed 15 long years for the conversion of my oldest brother. When he seemed to be getting further and further away from any hope of conversion, I prayed on. My first winter in Chicago, after 15 years... Now that would be interesting. Ah, gotcha. All right. My first winter in Chicago, after 15 years of praying, never missed a single day, never missing a single day. One morning God said to me as I knelt, I have heard your prayer. You do not need to pray anymore. Your brother's going to be converted. That's really something I've heard of that happening. Within two weeks, he was in my home, shut in with sickness, which made it impossible for him to leave my home for two weeks. Then the day he left, he accepted Christ over in the Bible Institute in Mr. Moody's office where he and I had went to talk and pray together. I told this incident when holding meetings in a certain city. An elderly woman came at the close of the meeting and said, I've been praying, praying for the conversion of my brother who is 63 years old for many years, but a short time ago I gave up and stopped praying. She added, I'm going to begin prayers again. Within two weeks of that time, she came and said, I have heard from my brother, and he has accepted Christ. What a story. And it's nothing rare. It's nothing rare. Not at all. So I would encourage us to be persistent in prayer for the lost. I encourage us to bring, bring names, share names with other, other Christians, and say, let's earnestly, let's earnestly pray for the salvation of this loved one. And when they're saved, come back to that prayer meeting, come back to this meeting, go back to that brother or sister and say, God save this person. Let's praise God, the God who hears prayer and has compassion on desperate situations.